Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I've been presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. Now, as I've been saying in previous programs, I have been explaining that it is very important for you to hear all of the programs that I have produced, especially up to this program. I continue to say that because this is an enormous subject. It's a huge subject. Not because the subject itself is complicated. What makes it so huge, what makes it complicated, is the confusion that exists. It's all of the things that people believe concerning this subject that requires me to spend so much time talking about something that is actually a very simple issue. I believe it's a very simple issue in the scriptures, but because of the distortions that exist, it takes a long time to do this. Now, if you are hearing this program without hearing the previous programs, you are going to have some serious problems, and it's only because I cannot explain everything that I have said in all of the previous programs in enough time in order to continue to talk about what I'm going to talk about next. And so I will just simply have to encourage you to listen to all of the programs through the radio archive that I have at livinggodministries.net or contact me for all of the audio CDs and then re-listen to this program again. Now, in the previous programs, the previous few programs, I was talking about Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, and Matthew chapter 19. Now, what I explained in the previous programs is that there is a translational problem, a problem with the translation, not from Greek to English. The problem exists between the Hebrew to the Greek. That's where the translational discrepancy occurred. And I explained in the previous broadcasts that I have a copy of the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. In fact, I actually have several copies, several different families of manuscripts. There are various manuscripts, and this is a study in and of itself that I am not going to do in this program. It is definitely a worthwhile study, but in these programs I'm not going to explain the justification concerning the manuscripts that I am referring to, their integrity, things like that, that are, of course, very important to discuss. I am not discussing that here because I simply don't have time if I'm going to focus on the issue at hand, which has to do with the subject of divorce and remarriage. And so if you're interested in that, you should be interested in that. I would encourage you to do the work concerning that subject. Don't just look to me to do all of this work for you. You should do it. You should look into this subject and be convinced in your own mind concerning it. Now, having said all of that, I have emphasized a lot from the Gospel of Matthew, and I have taught a lot about those two specific passages in Matthew. But in this program, I'm going to talk about the other Gospels, because we have the Gospel of Luke, 
And we have the Gospel of Mark, where similar references exist. We have to look at those. It's necessary to look at those. While I can go to Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 19 and say that in the English that we have and in the Greek that we have, it doesn't say that at all. Well, it does say something similar to that in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Mark. And I cannot make the same claim concerning the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Mark as I made when I talked about the Gospel of Matthew. Because in my opinion, there is plenty of evidence to show that the Gospel of Luke was written in Greek. It wasn't written in Hebrew. And I have similar evidence that convinces me that the Gospel of Mark was probably written in Greek as well and that it was not written in Hebrew and translated to the Greek. I do believe that the evidence for Luke is overwhelming to the point where there is no chance that I would even consider the option, personally, consider the option that Luke wrote his Gospel in Hebrew. And so if that is the case then what about the references that we have in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark, respectively, that correspond to the references that I have just spoken about in the Gospel of Matthew? This has to be considered. This has to be addressed. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with a reference for the Gospel of Luke, and then I'm going to go to the reference in the Gospel of Mark. So, to begin with, I'm going to start in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. This is the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 16, verse 17, where it says, And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, as I explained in previous programs, verse 18, where it says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery, this is a contradiction with the Mosaic Law. And I have explained this in previous programs. I have to proceed for the sake of time that this is a contradiction with the Mosaic Law. If it is true that a woman who is divorced commits adultery because she gets married, if that's true, then this contradicts the Mosaic Law. For example, consider Leviticus chapter 24, Verses 3 and 4, where the woman is divorced and she marries another. If that was adultery, if it was adultery, then why would God say through Moses, why would he say that that was a legitimate marriage? In fact, he continues to say in that section that she can be divorced from that husband. How can you be divorced from a husband if you have not married him? And how can you marry him after you have been divorced if that's adultery? That's what I mean. There are contradictions here. Consider the laws governing the Levitical priesthood, that a Levitical priest could not marry a woman who is divorced. By default, what that means is, is that a woman who is divorced can marry any other person except for a Levitical priest. These are contradictions that need to be considered, that need to be addressed. 
When he says that a man commits adultery in verse 18, he commits adultery if he divorces one woman and marries another, then that is a contradiction with the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law does allow a man to remarry even if he has been divorced. You can't say that he has committed adultery against his former wife because he divorced her and then he got married later. These are important things to consider, especially when you read the verse above in verse 17 where he says, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. So if Jesus says that the law will not go away, not one stroke of the law will fail, if that's what he says, and then he says something that contradicts it, To me, there is a discrepancy here. There is a discrepancy in existence. You cannot just say, well, we don't live by the law. We now live by a higher law. And our higher law is a law that says that if you divorce, you have committed adultery. And you were divorced previously, you commit adultery. That's some kind of higher law. Folks, you cannot live in both of those laws that have just been described simultaneously. It's not possible to do that legitimately. And so I believe that there is a discrepancy here, but I do not know the answer to this question. And I know that might sound a little surprising to you, but I explained in previous programs, I explained that there are things in the scriptures that I do not understand. There are things that I do not have an answer for. Concerning the Gospel of Matthew with respect to chapter 5 and 19, I lived for many years recognizing that there was a discrepancy there, and I eventually found an answer to my concern, and I explained that in previous programs. But that answer cannot be directly applied here to the Gospel of Luke because Luke wrote his Gospel in Greek, from what I can tell, from what I understand, and I really believe that. And so I cannot give the same explanation here in the Gospel of Luke as I can give in the Gospel of Matthew. But that does not mean that this negates the explanation that I have for the Gospel of Matthew. To me, these are two different letters. And to me, it's perfectly acceptable to have an explanation for one and an explanation for the other. I gave you my explanation for the Gospel of Matthew, but my explanation for the Gospel of Luke is that this, for me, remains an unanswered question. I cannot say that verse 18 is legitimate in conjunction with verse 17. I personally am not able to get past that at this time. Now, does that mean that this infringes on my ability to have a relationship with my God? I don't think so. Does this mean that I am concerned about the integrity of the scriptures? No, it really doesn't disturb me at all. Does this mean that I believe that there is a problem with the entire gospel of Luke? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean any of those things at all to me. Now, it might mean that to you. And if that's the case, then that's your issue. That's your problem. You find a way to get through that. But for me personally, this is not a big concern. This is just simply a question that I expect God will answer in the future. And I am personally waiting patiently for him to do that. Now, this is what I personally believe concerning this verse. This is what I believe. I'm going to tell you what I think. 
But this does not mean that this is the truth, that this is the ultimate conclusion. I'm not going to tell you this in order to say, thus saith the Lord. This is just simply how I personally view it. It's my opinion that the answer to this question will probably be found in this way, that this verse, verse 18, was added later. This is just my opinion. It's my opinion that is totally unproven. I have no way of confirming this. But if you were to ask me today what I think, I have a suspicion that this verse doesn't belong here, that this was added later. And there are examples of that in the scriptures. There are examples of that in the Greek texts that we have. And this might very well be the case. And so I have an opinion, but I am not willing to say that this is what the Lord says. And if this is the case, if I'm right, it will not disturb me at all concerning the scriptures. Because we have examples of this in other cases. And so I personally have an answer that satisfies me, you should find an answer that satisfies you. Now, having said that, I'm going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, I'm not going to read all of that in this program just for the sake of time. You can do that. But in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, what we have is we have a parallel passage to Matthew chapter 19. We have a parallel passage. We have an example where Jesus said something that is described both in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10. The same thing. Now, I personally believe that this is an issue because I can give an explanation for the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, but I cannot give the same explanation for the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. I can't do that because, again, I don't have any evidence to suggest that Mark wrote his Gospel in Hebrew. In fact, honestly, I don't think he did. I personally, it's my opinion, that he really did write it in Greek. So how, how can I possibly reconcile all of the concerns that I raised in Matthew chapter 19 with Mark chapter 10. And go back and remind yourself or listen again to those programs that I produced on Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19 and take all of those concerns, to include the ones that I just put in Luke chapter 16, take all of those together and put them on Mark chapter 10, and you will see that we've got the same problems, the same concerns, but I cannot give the same answer. I cannot give an answer to all of the concerns that will be raised just by looking at the Gospel of Mark itself. And so, how do I personally deal with Mark chapter 10? This is the way I deal with it. The first thing that I consider is that, in my opinion, I think many of the things that Mark wrote were not necessarily original. I have a suspicion that he took some things from the Gospel of Matthew and that this is one of those things that he took from the Gospel of Matthew. So I personally believe that there was a plagiarism that kind of occurred that took place between the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew in some cases and that this might be one of those circumstances. It's just a suspicion. And so when he did that... Did he make the error? Did he introduce the error in the Greek? Honestly, 
I don't think so. I think that whatever Mark wrote, if that is true, if he did copy from Matthew, I have a suspicion that what he wrote in the Greek was probably correct. I do. I have a suspicion that he probably conveyed something different and that over time through the copying of the manuscripts, there were some discrepancies that were introduced that give us what we have right now. Now, this is just my personal opinion. And you have to ask yourself, if I suggest that, that if this is the case here, then would it be the case in other places? And this is a very important question to consider. And I have considered it. And I personally believe that the risk of this occurring here is acceptable because, yeah, the risk exists in other places also. But there are ways that we can address those issues. Let's not try to get lost in those issues. There are ways of addressing those things as well. And that would be a wonderful topic to consider, the subject of textual criticism and the concerns that are raised concerning the transmission of texts and the integrity thereof. I understand that. So it is possible that Mark copied what was written in the Gospel of Matthew. He got it right to begin with, and he didn't cause any errors through his writing down of things in Greek, or this is something that took place later. I don't know where the discrepancies occurred or when the discrepancies occurred. But what I can say with great confidence, this is one thing I can say personally, I do not believe that it's the other way around. I do not believe that the Gospel of Matthew that I have written in Hebrew is a translation from the Greek in that these corrections were made. I don't believe it's in the other direction, although this is a very important thing to consider, and this is why I am going to put it in these programs, and I'm going to put it right here. And that is that it's possible that the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew, the copies that I have, have some corruptions or distortions or what we would call assimilations to the Greek. It's possible that that's the case. And believe it or not, there are some copies, there are some families of manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew that do show assimilations from the Greek that do indicate that there is some corruption that has occurred because of concerns like this, where people have adapted the manuscripts in Hebrew to the Greek. We do have examples of that, and so this is a legitimate concern. But I have found a manuscript that does not have that kind of assimilation that I personally believe is to the degree that I personally would feel that the manuscript that I have used is a translation from the Greek, especially because there are many things in this manuscript in the Hebrew language. There are word puns that are used. There are rhymes that are used. There are things that are there that are artifacts that to me could not exist if somebody was translating from the Greek that gives me personally the indication that the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew is not a translation from the Greek, but that instead the translations that we have in the Greek are from the Hebrew. So I personally have done enough research in order to convince myself. If you have a concern beyond what I have described, if you feel that it is important to pursue this further, then you should do it. You should do it. You know, I have done my best. I really have. I've put a lot of effort into these radio programs to give you 
my best explanation in English. You know, if I didn't have to speak to you in English, if I could just speak to you in Hebrew, I'd just read the text to you and you go ahead and decide whatever you want to decide. Think whatever you want to think. I could just do that. But it is my expectation that my audience for these programs don't know the Hebrew that they would need to know in order to accomplish that. And so I'm doing the best I possibly can with the language limitations that I have concerning these issues and considering the audience who I expect to listen to these programs. If you would like more clarification on this, if you'd like more to go on concerning this, then you should do it. You should make the effort to learn Hebrew, to get these manuscripts yourself. You can get them through the British Museums, the libraries there. There's museums in Russia, in Paris. If this is really important to you, then let it be important to you and you do it. You do it. Don't make demands on me and ask me to give you further evidence concerning these things. I'm probably not going to do it. You know, I have a limited amount of time myself. I've got things to do as well. And so if you want more to go on, then I'm giving you the direction that you should go in and you should do that. So let me tell you this. When I look at the Gospel of Mark and I see the example there in Mark chapter 10 that corresponds to the example in Matthew chapter 19, it's my personal opinion that the discrepancies that we see in the Gospel of Mark are simply there because somebody has attempted to copy what Matthew wrote. There were distortions that occurred. There are errors that occurred. And I personally do not feel any concern about this at all. I feel no need to adapt Matthew chapter 19 to Mark chapter 10. It's my opinion that Mark chapter 10 should be adapted to Matthew chapter 19. That's what I believe. Likewise, with the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, that verse 18 should be adapted to verse 17, not that verse 17 should be adapted to verse 18. In other words, you should not change the Mosaic law in order to accommodate what it says here in verse 18. You should not alter the Mosaic law. There is no distortion in the Mosaic law. There is no error in the Mosaic law. You know, the manuscripts that we have historically for Leviticus, for Numbers, for Deuteronomy... The evidence is overwhelming that there's no error, there's no confusion in the law. I do not see that there's any need to adapt verse 17 to verse 18 in Luke chapter 16, but it's the other way around, that there is a distortion in verse 18, and I don't know where it is or why, but I do know that there's an error there, that it does exist, and if I knew the origin of it, I would tell you. But right now, honestly, I simply do not have an answer for that question. I do hope to have an answer for that question in the future. And if I do, trust me, I will definitely have a lot to say about it. And so I'm going to make this program a standalone. I'm going to make this a single program with reference to Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 16. In the event that in the near future that I find further evidence that I believe is necessary in order to do better work 
concerning Luke chapter 16 and Mark chapter 10, then I can just simply replace this program and not have to worry about replacing any of the other programs. I'm isolating this one in such a way that I can replace it in the event that I find new information that I think justifies a replacement of this program. But until then, I will tell you that this is an unanswered question for myself. But considering everything that I have had to say, everything that I see in the scriptures concerning this subject already, to me, this is acceptable. It is in my opinion that this is acceptable. And I want you to see this as evidence for me to show you. I want to show you this evidence that if there is something that I don't know or something that I'm not sure of, I'm not afraid to say I don't know or I'm not sure. I am confident in what I do know, in what I do believe, in what I am sure of, but I am also confident in what I am not sure of and in what I do not know. And knowing that our God is the only one who you should be turning to, that you should not be depending on me, you should be depending on him, I am not afraid to say the things that I have said. Again, these programs are not produced for the purpose of giving you approval or rejection, to permit or to forbid. I am only telling you what I see in the scriptures. Now again, there are consequences to what we believe. I have taken a position concerning this, and I am willing to accept the consequences. But please be aware that when you go and speak with other people, about this subject, when you talk with other people about the things that I have said in these programs, you need to be aware of the consequences related to that. You need to be prepared for the fact that people will tell you that according to Mark and according to Luke, that what I believe, or if you agree with me, what you believe is wrong. And you need to be prepared for that kind of discussion. The way that I'm prepared is simple. I just simply say, yes, you're absolutely right. There is no question in my mind that that's what it says. This is the way that I personally consider these verses, that I am not personally concerned about them, that there are unanswered questions that I have. But do you understand what this means? This means that I am not speaking with somebody on the basis of proof. I'm not speaking with somebody on the basis of arguing a point to the point of actually arriving at some conclusion that is irrefutable. I'm not going to attempt to do that. And so I would like to encourage you to be aware of that. And I will continue with the subject of consequences in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,